0: This episode is brought to you by the McDonald's One Two dollars menu. It's hard to have a friend who's a slow eater, because when you finish your McChicken sandwich, watching them finish their McDouble cheeseburger and small fries can be excruciating until they notice you staring and offer up a few fries. That must be what friends are for. There's a deal for every moment on the McDonald's $1, 2 $3 menu. Get a McChicken sandwich, McDouble cheeseburger, four-piece chicken McNuggets, or small fries for just a few bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any offer or combo meal. This episode is brought to you by eBay. This Father's Day, celebrate the guy who always makes the time with Rolex, Omega, Breitling, and more. Find modern and vintage watches with the authenticity guarantee at ebay.com. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome drummer William Goldsmith from Sunny Day Real Estate. You may also know him from the Fire Theft, Foo Fighters, or his new band called Assertion. William and I had an amazing discussion on how he got into music, meeting Jeremy Enoch, the formation of Sunny Day Real Estate, and the lasting impact of that band. We also talk how he met his close friend and bandmate insertion, Justin Taminga, who you'll hear speak up at times during the podcast. William's story is one of perseverance, admitting when you need to fix yourself, and when everything is stacked against you, you keep picking yourself back up. It's a beautiful story, and I hope you enjoy this one. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. You help with the motivation when it's one o'clock in the morning on a work night, and I need to keep pushing to make this the best podcast I can make. Thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com/washedupemo. This is episode 166 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with William Goldsmith from Sunny Day Real Estate.
1: I can tell you the sort of like weird, almost uh, 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 kind of embarrassing aspect of it. Or not embarrassing, but um, it's kind of weird. When I was five, I had an imaginary friend who was a drummer. Don't ask me. Not saying it was real. Kids have imaginary friends, but it just so happens that uh, this particular person who went by the name of... um, uh, Shit, what was his name? I forgot. Anyway... He was a drummer. So that was kind of the first thing that really sparked my interest. And then um the first band that I really got exposed to was the Beatles. And so I was obsessed with the Beatles when I was five and had some weird invisible dude going, Yeah, yeah, the drums are cool, too. <laughs> Cuckoo. So, you know, I mean kids have imaginary friends. So but that was one of the first things that 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 got me. So and so I you know, of course I went through the thing where I was a kid where I I thought the Beatles were the best band in the world. Ringo was the greatest drummer in the world, and that's just the way that it was. But uh, but I still love the Beatles, you know. So, and then also my brother um, played the drums a little bit, and he had a drum kit set up in the basement. And I would just go down there and just stare at it. I remember one time he sat down behind the kit, and he started playing a little bit. And I went and I watched from the side and watched, you know, the mallet hitting the bass drum. And for me, that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, so then... Asked for a drum kit when I was five and six, seven, eight, nine, all the way until finally thirteen years old. They gave in and finally gave me, got me a drum kit. And it was Christmas Eve, and they got it, got it, they gave it to me. I set it up immediately and just started playing. And I didn't, uh, I didn't take lessons. I just, just sort of did it. I, at first, I was just like, you know, just. Screwing around, but then when I uh, then I my brother had these old speakers and I, and this old stereo system that he had left at my folks' place, and I would set that up behind me behind the kit, and I would listen to like the Who, and like Led Zeppelin things like that, and then try to do what they were doing a little bit as much as I could, trying to do the like weird double things on the bass drum that like Bonham would do, you know, voga, and like sitting there trying to figure out how he's doing it, and finally having this eureka moment, you know, I wish I would have taken lessons, but. It just didn't happen that way.
0: Music, you know, especially there's connections to, you know, spirituality. And I think I read or heard that, you know, raised Catholic as well. You were. I was raised Catholic. And the only way that I could get through it was to play in the band. Bingo. Like, I was like, oh, you're going to make me go? Well, I'm going to play in the band then. But it still felt like things weren't talked about like even though you're supposed to go to this thing for 45 minutes, you go up and get the host, you sit down, you go home, everyone's great. It, it was almost like a checklist versus something that actually helped. And funny that music like got me through that while I was trying to do my own thing. What was your experience with that?
1: So Catholicism was responsible for scaring the absolute shit out of me, you know, when I was, you know, second grade, they basically, you know, they're like, "Look, you're going to you're going to go to heaven or hell and that depends on if you're bad or good." And I was just like, jesus so you know that's you know you're literally like terrified you're like wow okay so play my cards right or burn for eternity (laughs) you know like so what's playing my cards right unfortunately i so listening to music definitely was a a way of getting through it but unfortunately i didn't really get to play until i was 13 so i had to just sort of like absorb music um as a way of sort of a, a coping mechanism but i wasn't able to i didn't have an outlet yet so until i was 13 but um but yeah, but the first record I ever bought was Remain in Light by the Talking Heads. That was the first record I ever actually went out and I purchased the cassette tape, <laughs> actually. And then, of course, Talking Heads became, I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm an extremist. So then I was like hyper-focused on Talking Heads like when I was in sixth grade. It's all I listened to, you know. But then when I was um, in eighth grade, my brother sat me down and played me Quadrophenia, you know, uh, Permanent Waves by Rush. Yes, you know, I j- you know, just on and on and on. And uh Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, (laughs) things like that. But then my sister also listened to a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire and Stevie Wonder, and I really liked that stuff a lot, and still do, actually. The groove. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I've learned to appreciate that, and have gotten better at falling into it as I've gotten older, which is good. I would, like, I was exposed to Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind, and Fire, stuff like that. My sister would just always be playing it, you know? So... Um, and I always liked it, you know, but then when my brother sat me down and like specifically was like, cause he knew I was like looking that I wanted more music, you know? So that's when he like played me Quadrophenia and that was, that changed everything. Two of my friends in eighth grade were basically interested in music too. So we basically tried to start a band and we, of course, you know, it was me and on the drums and then my friend who had a keyboard and my other friend who just yelled at stuff. He <laughs> just screamed stuff. That was the way we could start. And then, uh, then when I started high school, I met a guy named John Adkins.
0: Seven six four hero.
1: Yes. And freshman year in high school, met this guy named John Adkins, and he played bass, and he played in a band. And I was like, dude, hi, <laughs> you want to play? And he was like, oh yeah. So then we started a band called the Thirteen. And uh, and Jeremy actually tried out to play uh, bass. For that band, but he showed up with his guitar and wanted to sing and play guitar. And we were like, well, that's great. You really sound really good, man. But we're looking for a bass player. So, <laughs> so yeah. Because I, I met Jeremy. Um, so I was playing with John Adkins. I met Jeremy. He was 14 years old. I was 16. And I met him, and the first time we met, we played. And uh, Wow. There, and he uh, John had actually left his bass at the house, and Jeremy and I jammed, and I played drums. And he actually played bass. Played John's bass, because John, he there was no guitar there, just his bass. And it was really cool, you know? It was really, it was, yeah, immediately the first time we sat down to play, it was cool. So that's why I thought it would be cool to have him come and play bass with John and I. But then he was like, well, actually, I guitar and sing quite well, you know? It just so happened. But that's when it really started to get serious, where John Atkins and I were literate with like, we would every single day was about getting to the weekend when he got to come over and we got to play for like eight or nine hours and then go and sit at the park and like eat beef jerky and dream of making a cassette tape, <laughs> you know, right. music, you know, just like thinking about it and like, wow. And then he discovered harmonies and it was like, he had discovered fire or something. And he was like, plays me a song and then he does a harmony. I'm like, Oh my God. You know, it's like all these, you know, it's cool. You know, it's, that's the interesting thing about, You know, being self-taught or like literally just you know, yeah, completely uh, uh, naive and oblivious and having no sort of music uh, educational background musically is like you're discovering these things and you're like this. uh, It's this constant beginner mind kind of thing. You know, I was like desperate, hungry for more like music. Then Jeremy started playing in a hardcore band and they needed a drummer. Jeremy traditionally didn't really play hardcore, but he just he decided to start playing in this hardcore band. So. Jeremy played, there are some songs that Jeremy plays still today that he had written back then, secretly by himself in his room with his four track. I would hear them. And it's weird. I went and saw him play the other day, Justin and I did. And by the way, he was amazing. He sounded, it's like the most professional version of Jeremy, of himself, ever.
0: After the last solo tour, I just said, why are you not recording every single show? You're sounding better. And he, he kind of had a,
1: well, I don't know. And I was like, just record the show. Justin offered to record the show that we're going to go to and bash on. He was like, no, I think, I think I'm think i going to start doing them pretty soon. I was like, yeah, but there's no catch here. There's no like, you know, the, it's just, okay, oh, that's all right. You know, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, but he sounded great. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, it was it was actually a very emotional experience. But the crazy thing is like hearing songs where you're like, man, I he heard this for the first time back then. Wow, when he was like 15, you know, like it's crazy. So anyway,
0: what uh, did you connect on what What about it between you two? Was it
1: well? I mean, just well. Jeremy and I clicked. I imme- like immediately. Like uh, the person I clicked the hardest. Well, with John Adkins, it was like our first. Discover, it was my first discovery right. of actually being able to like have a spiritual and musical interaction with someone. And it's like, just you know, like every moment is like, wow, I can't believe we just played a thing, you know, made a song like with parts and changes. It's crazy. So Jeremy and I really played well together the first time we played. But then when he started playing me the songs that he worked on by himself, kind of secretly, it, they were so, it moved me. Like, I mean, I mean, I was just like, holy shit. (laughs) You know, I would be almost in tears listening to these songs. I'm like, dude, how many of these do you have? Those stayed in, you know, in his room. It was like his thing. It was like his special private thing that he did by himself. And so then, but the hardcore thing, you know, it was like, (laughs) you know, I think it was a way to to actually start playing shows, you know, because, you know what I mean? To actually go and be able to play a show because hardcore shows, you know, the kids, being put on by other kids you know
0: and also different genres
1: sure although it was all pretty much like you know it was pretty much all very similar that was a way for us to actually like going out and playing shows which was actually very scary but you know but we did it because we wanted to do it. So, but I was a senior in high school, and Jeremy was well was <laughs> was supposed to be a um, I think sophomore or junior, but he kind of decided to just sort of like not do the school thing anymore. And he and my friend, uh, or my friend Aaron, were uh, living on the streets for <laughs> a while, but then they would just you know they would most of the time they would sleep in the uh, the woods by my parents' house, and then as soon as the coast was clear, then they'd come in. And, <laughs> and <laughs> during
0: during his high school years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then uh yeah, so and then we practiced at my parents' house, you know.
0: So, so your parents were supportive of make making music?
1: They just sort of accept. They finally just had to accept it. I mean, you know, I just I, you know, when you start asking for a drum kit, you know, at the age of 5, you don't you don't stop all the way to age 13 and then once they give you the kit, you don't ever stop playing it and then, you know, of course, the next logical sort of step is that other people are going to be coming over and playing with you so i don't think they necessarily liked the music uh, at least that the hardcore band wasn't playing but we were playing down in the basement so yeah we would play mostly shows like a place called the party hall which is in seattle on 21st and madison joined another hardcore band right when i was graduating high school and that was when i went on my first tour with a band called positive greed The singer Greedy Greg is what they call call them and still call them today uh, sometimes. They lived in this house called the Blue House and that's where they also had a lot of shows there. And that's where Reason for Hate recorded our first demo was down in the basement.
0: Being in Seattle, seeing those shows, getting involved, like what other bands or what other things were you hearing and feeling?
1: So I was playing in a band called Positive Greed, the Igloo Sect, and then um, Reason for Hate, and then Nate... Mendel and Dan Horner started coming over to the house that I was living at. And this is after I, this is like when I was, you know, almost 19, they started coming over to that house and hanging out, which was weird because they weren't really very good friends with anybody at that house. But everybody's wondering, why are they coming over every night? And it turns out that they had heard a recording I had done with that band Positive Greed. And they were like, oh, we should get that drummer. Wow. So because they had started a band and they were like, oh, we got to get that drummer. Where's he at? And he's always hanging out over. That's where he lives. Okay, let's just start going over there. So they started going over there and then they started taking me on walks. And then like after a few walks, they're like, so what do you feel about uh, coming over and playing drums with us a little bit? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. I mean, I'm in three bands. It'd be a fourth band. They're like, that's fine. (laughs) So, uh, but then of course I ended up, Nate gave me a talk, had a talk with me and was like, you know, you need to, uh, make a decision, you know? So I quit those three bands, stay with that band. But it was after sunny day had started. Well, that wasn't what we were called initially, but, uh, It was after that band had started, and then all of a sudden, like, we just started discovering things like Slint, Spiderland came into the picture. And that was like, you know, that was like this weird, like, whoa, you know, it was a whole different thing. They obviously had a huge influence on Sunny Day Real Estate, but I don't think it's anything you can really hear, really. It was just more like we were inspired. So, Sunny Day was really, really inspired by Rites of Spring, The Hated, Lungfish, uh, you know, and of course, Shudder to Think. Fugazi things like that. So so that it, it was a really it was an interesting experience getting into hardcore and being like, you know, it's 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 cool. Although I mean I don't I, I was more like I grew up on like classic rock, you know, and kind of more the sophisticated song arrangements. I liked the, you know, the energy of the punk rock thing or the hardcore thing, but then it was an interesting experience discovering like Fugazi and then discovering, you know, like shut shudder to think these bands that are from the punk rock scene that are like experimenting with with actual like song arrangements and and melody and things like that. And that's pretty much what sunny day real estate was, was sort of an experiment by people that played hardcore to see what it would be like to actually like, you know, have like more sophisticated arrangements and space if possible, you know, but then we didn't have a singer. We couldn't really find a singer. We were instrumental for a while. Then Dan was like, well, we'll just do what we always do. We all, you know, just scream. So Dan screamed for a while. And then, um, I showed them Jeremy's stuff that that he did by himself. And they were blown away by it. And so we started asking Jeremy to open up for Sunny Day Real Estate just acoustically, just by himself. So he would open up for some shows. And then I started pushing the idea. I was like, you know, maybe we should have him come and sing for the band. And Dan was like, no, no, no. It's fine the way it is. I was like, okay. Then finally, when Nate went on tour with Christ on a Crutch, he um, Dan said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a project. With Jeremy singing and he and I'll play bass. You know, Nate's gone. I'll play bass, and we won't. We'll call it just a completely different thing. And so we wrote like God. Uh, like we wrote quite a few songs. Um, I think initially like six songs, and then um, played two shows. I think. Yeah, we played two shows. One show was at a high school at eight in the morning, which was very bizarre. Or not a high school. It's like It's called like Best. It was like an alternative school or something. Or, and then, um, yeah, man, playing a show at 8 a.m. Is, is not a good idea. It's a <laughs> shock to the system. It's really weird, you know? I was like, so all-ages shows were illegal for a while uh, in Seattle. And so uh, and then Curtis Pitts was able to arrange uh, having an all-ages show at the Oddfellows Hall. And so it was us, at which we were called Thief Steal Me a Peach. That was with Jeremy and Dan and I, that, ex- that experiment. Hush Harbor. And uh, which is John Atkins from 764 Hero. That's his band before that. And then uh, Rain Like the Sound of Trains, which is Pete Kramiak from Verbal Assault, his band, and Dougie Bird from Beefeater. And Josh was the drummer. Uh, and then this band Chikung, which is like this weird, sort of weird drum thing, kind of hard to explain. But um, and we played that show. And uh, and then Nate got back from the tour with Christ on a crutch and we were like, hey, can we show you something? So we played him the six songs and he was like, so what do we do now? And we're like, well, we were thinking maybe we dump the 46 songs we've written (laughs) and then start new with these these new with these six songs right here. And then, you know, and you start you play bass and you play Dan's parts and then um, Dan will just play second guitar. And so that's what we did pretty much. Well, Nate heard the songs and heard Jeremy singing. He was like, "Okay, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, we should do this." You know, he's like, obviously. You know, I mean, it'd be silly to like start us to. I mean, you know, it may as well just put the two together. You know, except for it was more like the other one took over, and everything else that we had done in the past just should have got thrown in the trash. It's unfortunate. I wish that we would have recorded all that stuff we had done back then. We only recorded some of it, but you know, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't like. Really great, but it's just still interesting. It was a very inspiring time, that's for sure. Uh, leading up to where Jeremy had joined the band, like my our experiences, uh, Nate and Dan and I, our journey to get there, like of uh, uh, exploring music, was definitely like a huge turning point for me. Changed everything, you know. It's crazy.
0: What did you learn from them, or what what did you guys learn together?
1: Oh, we just learned that we were were capable of 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 writing music that was like, it wasn't like anything we'd ever heard. And it was really interesting and really exciting to play. And it was just, it was really cool. It was the kind of thing where we would get done. We'd be like, you know, you know, can't believe that we just actually wrote that, you know, you know, so, you know, and Dan was very, very, uh, Dan, Dan had this way of, of, of inspiring you, uh, literally like true, like, like, reacting to things that you were doing as if it was like it was the greatest thing that had ever been done and no one's ever done it before and like you know and and it really really pushed you further so it's interesting
0: what was happening at the time that you felt this this had a place
1: it didn't it didn't have a place that guy curtis pitts was able to get an all-ages show set up that one time but then it was, after that it was still like pulling teeth like all the all-ages shows were illegal and You couldn't get a show at any of the local Seattle clubs or anything or bars or anything unless you knew someone in in that scene. So where we were coming from, like the hardcore scene and the I don't know, you want to call it the grunge, whatever scene, whatever that scene, that thing that was happening. They were totally separate. And unless you were somehow connected to that world, you couldn't get a show anywhere to save your life nate was trying Nate would call this place that place they just hang up on him. so we were stuck in the basement every now and again we would basically go to like say moses lake or spokane to play a show like one time we went to spokane and played a show with lungfish so it was jeremy opening up it was jeremy enoch lungfish and us and that's the first time i saw lungfish and i was like holy shit but uh yeah blew me away so um Actually I was I was packing up my drums and I and I noticed that Jeremy was like just staring at the stage. I was like, "Dude, what's up?" And he goes sort of like motions for me to look at the stage and I looked and then I saw and then I heard and it, and I was just completely mesmerized. This guy's like shadow boxing. You know. I I you know it was like the, it was such a pure self-expression that band. It was so hypnotic and honest it was so honest it was just it was like it was four men that knew each other and cared about each other that's what you felt like and they were making music that was an expression of their souls together as men and it was just so honest I would just blew me away so you know I mean Longfish may not be for everybody but it sure was for me but back to what I was originally, originally what I was saying was that it, we didn't have a place. We were stuck in the basement. We, we didn't have anywhere to go. But that was fine for me, you know, like, I mean, you know, the idea of, of being able to make a record or anything was so not on the radar. It was just, it wasn't even, it just wasn't on the table. At least for me, I just didn't think of it as being a possibility. So we did go and record a demo, uh, Dan and Nate and I earlier on. And um, that's that's known as the empty set tape because we were called empty set at the time. But um, and that stuff's just ridiculous. (laughs) It's very interesting to. I'll send it to you. It's very interesting to listen to, but it's definitely ridiculous. But you know, you're like, holy good lord, you know. (laughs) And then I maybe that sort of isolation or just having nowhere to go but the basement contributed to it being such. It was already a personal thing, but it became an an exclusively Personal thing. It was like this is for us and no one else. This is like this is our way of like expressing ourselves, you know. And this is where it's where it's going to stay. And it was still that way when Jeremy played in the band. But then, then we ended up accidentally getting a show. At uh, we were uh oh well there was a there was a turning point where then all of a sudden all ages shows were uh, possible again. So then we slowly started playing s- some shows here and there. We played a show with Unwound and Jawbreaker. At this one place, can't remember where it was, um, and uh, you know, so that started happening. And then we accidentally got a show at the Crocodile Cafe with a band called Skirt because Engine Kid, at the time, couldn't. They could. They were supposed to play the show. They couldn't play. So then, uh, Greg Anderson from Engine Kid said, and he was in Brotherhood too. He said uh, he told the promoter Eric Solderstrom. He said, "Hey, you know, there's this band Sunny to Real Estate. You should have them play instead of us." So we did. And he saw us play, and then he said, you know what, as an experiment, I'm going to put you guys on the Sub Pop anniversary party show as the first band, just just to see what happens. So we did, and then there was one person in the audience, and that was Jonathan Poneman. He walked up, said, you guys want to make a record? And we said, yeah, right, and laughed at him, and then realized that he was the guy that ran Sub Pop and that he was being serious. So we said, okay, you know, so that's that. And then he paid for the release of the Thief Steal Me a Peach 7-Inch. It was so uh, was called and but then we put it on one day I stopped breathing records, but it was really paid for by sub pop. And then we and then we went and did a bunch of touring, you know, and played shows to like about on an average of two to six people a night, you know, night after night after night. And then uh, you know, tour with the dirt fisherman, thirty odd six, stuff like that. And then then when we were in the process of breaking up, we tracked the music for the pink record but not the vocals jeremy decided to leave the band and then we just we got offered to go on tour shutter to think and we're like dude (laughs) we have to go on tour shutter to think and we should finish the second record at least you know so we went on tour shutter to think and this is after diary had come out finally had come out and it was weird we went on that tour and then slowly show after show people start showing up more and then all of a sudden we started realizing that there were these that were there were people showing up, and there was a response to w- us that was it wasn't like a contrived, like, you know, superficial people cheering. You know what I mean? It was like there was this authentic spiritual exchange. Like there was something that we were doing that hit some folks that you know, there was an expression of our humanity that was picked up by people, you know what I guess. Mm-hmm. and and that was a very overwhelming experience and that's where and then i got kind of sad i was like wow too bad we're breaking up we got back broke up jeremy uh went into the studio uh dan went in and put his guitar tracks down then jeremy went into the studio with brad and did the vocals for the pink record and then it came out wow
0: and from that that ending time did you start I mean again this the 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 dreaded word that everybody hates and is the most hated word in music genre did you feel that it like it was being connected to you guys and was it something that felt weird from the get go or was what? it something the word emo like having it connected oh, to oh, you oh. guys
1: It well it, it was so it surprised the hell out of us because um and I mean I'm not I'm not saying I don't <laughs> I'm not saying this in any sort of way to disrespect anyone who is. I, I mean, I just, I don't know. That's I, totally I, fine. Was, when we were, when we were in the hardcore scene, the the first time I heard the word emo was when someone was insulting someone for basically being the kind of person that was standing in front of everybody and being the most into it and trying to make it so like this kind of look at me thing. You know, yep. that's 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 what that's my that was my first experience with it. But really. Where the word "emo" came from uh, was, I think somebody wrote an, a review or an article regarding Fugazi, I think, wasn't it? And or was it was it was it Fugazi or was it Red spring? I can't remember. Some Somebody <laughs> used the word emo. So I don't know. The emo thing is weird to me in in the way just because it's I would imagine it means emotional. And so emotion emo, human emotions have been the driving force or launching pad for our all, all art and music since the beginning of the beginning. So it's not a, that's not a new thing. I think it, I think I think that's a word to basically just try to describe something that is a more sort of s- just um, authentic or what's supposed to be a more authentic and um, honest approach towards song arrangement or air sculpture that is you know uh, is powerful but also can be overtly vulnerable. At the same time,
0: do you wish that the word was never attached to the band?
1: Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it is what it is. I, I don't really think about it. You know, I mean, for me, it's just they're just songs. It's just it's songs. You know, to me, it's like to say something is emo is like is like you know they're songs. They're songs. It's it gets complicated because it's not it's not really hardcore. It's not. Metal. It's not, you know, whatever hard rock. You know what I mean? But it's they're just their songs is what they are. You know, it's just it's different. So, you know, and people need to, you know, figure out a way to, you know, categorize. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it,
1: it is what it it is. It is what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, what what emo I think means to some people is the thing that you and I are talking about. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like that way to describe like something that is the music that you and I were just you know describing, and so in that to look at it like that, then no, it's not a bad thing because it's it's uh, it's uh, music with a a, um, to people trying to approach music from a place of authenticity. That's what it's you know, I guess you know to allow their humanity to come through, you know, honestly through the the music you know and not be and not be trying to put on a show but just expressing what it is to be a human being retrospectively what i will say is that what i don't like is how the sort of like the giggle factor that somehow co- goes along with the emo thing it kind of belittles or cheapens you know some music and and band, or and and or bands that um that should not have that done to them
0: I love that you said that because I think it's the most marginalized word or genre because if it's, oh, well, it's good, but it's, but it's emo. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So they're complimenting it as they make fun of it or as yeah, they yeah, yeah. they want to like, uh, I, I'm not going to give it the full, like, like, like jokingly about pitchfork. Like, again, are they really going to back then when they were, when they were viewing stuff, I mean, they were belittling the word. And now it's as if it's the second coming of Christ. And it's like, well, where were you 15 years ago? What's what's the difference? And I think it's so marginalized that people don't want, like, people do not want to have the word associated with them because that will happen. And I think it's really sad if there's anything I don't think emos sad, I think it's euphoric and I think music, but there's something sad about that that the music can't get a shot because it has this fucking word put on it,
1: yeah, 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 you and I are on the same page, yeah precisely, yeah, Justin just said amen, yeah <laughs> totally, yeah, so that's the thing that's the thing is there's this like other there's this like this this little elephant that doesn't really exist that was placed in the room that is you know um um uh, uh, taking away from something that is important or like uh, uh, making light of something that is not light. <laughs> so
0: after L L P two or the pink record, what were, what were some of your thoughts? What did you think about? Were you like, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to do something new. I mean, I know what, what happened, but I'm saying like, what what was in your head of like, well, fuck this thing just ended. We had all this going for us. All these people are getting into it.
1: I had no idea on the last show that tour um, at the black cat, we played two show two, two, two nights at the Black Hat. Second night was the last was Sunday Day's last show basically, and that was the last show of the tour. I was uh, Pete Kramiak from Rain Like the Sound of Trains, Verbal Assault. You know, um, amazing guitar player, amazing human being, amazing carpenter. Uh, he um, and amazing father, by the way. Uh, he was sitting with me in the bar area and somebody put a folded napkin in front of me on the table and said, Dave Grover, he would you like you to call him. Had a phone number on there. And so I didn't know what I was going to do, but then that ha- that happened. And so that sort of ended up immediately sort of leading from that last show into what was going to happen next, which is what it is.
0: Right. The couple years with Foos. And then... After that, because you've you've talked about that plenty, I think people need to talk about is the fire theft.
1: Yeah. Well, what was interesting? So after I quit the Foo Fighters, like we made the How It Feels to Be Something on, and then we made Rising Tide, and then broke up again, and then that's the the fire theft thing. Yeah, and so I think the fire theft was, it's probably frustrating for people, understandably so. It's just like Sunday break is together, breaks up, It's together, breaks up again is sort of Sunny Day, but not called Sunny Day, you know, it's like, and has, you know, the other three members, you know, like Nate and Jeremy and I instead, you know, so it's got to be really confused. I feel, I feel bad for us being so all, you know, but there are reasons behind all of it, but it's all very long, very, very long stories. How it feels
0: to be something on. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an energy in that record. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, is there. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. That yeah, it was, yeah, it was very inspired record yeah definitely for sure when we were approaching that record we were like you know we were like well we're gonna do exactly what we did before which is have the music that is that's gonna come out of us at that time be what it is be what comes out and so that's what came out you know and it wasn't anything like the first two records but we knew that was gonna happen you know
0: someone told me yeah someone told me diary was your nevermind lp2 was your spiderland and how it uh, feels was your OK computer?
1: Oh well, I have no idea what to say to that because those I don't think any I don't think we've made any I don't think we've made any record any of those records even touch those records. But uh, uh okay, I guess <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, Justin said how, how it feels is his OK computer. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <I'll>, well, okay. <laughs> I know. All right. <laughs> you know. I think if we're if we're if we're if we're talking about
0: that record quickly, I think Pillars is one I want to bring up, and <clears throat> the groove of that song, and <clears throat> how it picks up, but it has this heaviness <clears throat> that uh, in the drums that kind of keeps that going. Can you talk about that song or that 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 groove?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I could talk about it, although um, it's kind of hard to explain. Like, I don't know if I could really. Well, no, it's just, um, to me, it's kind of, a, a lot of the music is, is like a mystery to me. Or I don't know, for all of us, like, they just, they, they happened. It's not like a thing, there wasn't, there's never a thought process, like, that is like, I'm going to do this like this. It's like, it's just, it just, it, it is, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just this thing that comes from somewhere internally, and then sometimes feels like partially externally. <laughs> uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, aside from like externally, someone in the band, like uh, I, I don't know. They just they 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 just sort of all of a sudden exist, so, they didn't.
0: So like going back to the Pink album, like if it's Jana, like deciding when to come in, be- come in af- after the break that was that was something that you guys discussed or was it again you were just jamming that one time and it felt right Uh,
1: well okay so we're sure there's some discussion and as far i i mean i think there was some discussion regarding that sometimes it was discussed other times it was like something that just happened like us basically just like working through the part i mean like working on that song like i think there was just a point where we like stopped and dan just kept going you know and then we were like oh yeah Logically, the best thing to do is go, and you know, right. and you know, and come back in on that. So, but yeah, that song, man. Yeah, I liked, I liked that, I liked that song.
0: And then I thought too the when days days were golden, and yeah. how that was sort of ending the set. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember the show in college. I remember there were signs up because you could. I went to school in North Carolina, and you could still smoke. And I remember there were signs up saying, "Please don't smoke." And yeah, I wish that, I had, we, I wish I had a we photo gonna, of it.
1: We were the first band that I knew of, or whatever, that had a no smoking in the venue policy. And it's funny because I smoked, and I think I even smoked on stage while we we're playing at the non smoking venue shows. I was kind of stubborn, uh, but yeah. But I mean, I think it got to a point where it's like when you're playing night after night in these in clubs and in this environment that's really smoky. You know, like really, really smoking right. from a lot of people smoking. It really it really kinda gets to you after a while. Even if you smoke, it gets to you. You know what I mean? So
0: I had smoking so that, clothes that, 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 that. to go to shows. Like sure, I had yeah, a yeah, sweatshirt yeah. to be like, Well, this is the show. This is the sweatshirt I use to go to shows because it's
1: gonna stink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I, I I'll oftentimes forget that you used to be able to smoke at places like, you know. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did we had a non smoking rule. And what's crazy is people didn't smoke, not one time. Not even one time. even Tobacco Road.
0: I mean, you played in North Carolina, Tobacco Road, and we abided by that because you asked.
1: Correct. Yeah, that <laughs> blew me away. That totally blew me away. I was like, "Wow, this is crazy." You no, know? and then I was like, <laughs> uh, "Yeah." So you know, but um, but yeah, but I don't smoke on stage during shows anymore because there's no, not enough time in between songs, but with sunny day, there was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no, actually I think by that time they finally started using stage tuners. Thank God. Yeah. But man, diary days and how and, and pink or, you know, all that, that stuff from between diary and the pink record, man, bing, bing, no. bing, bing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Oh God. It was so hard. It was brutal. And I was like, wait a minute, there's stage tuners where you can have it. You can do it. And it's quiet. Are you guys crazy. <laughs> They're only eighty bucks. Like just get yeah, one. I, well, yeah. That's true. I guess.
0: <laughs> the rising tide stuff that I think was interesting too because you know, having the uh sub pop days and then having this sort of new trial with Time Bomb and Arista, um you know what again, it it didn't work out, you know, <laughs> because of
1: well, yeah, it, yeah, it didn't work out because yeah, because Arrest had dropped time bomb right as we were finishing in the record. And they're like, Okay, cool. We're not gonna be able to do anything for you. But uh good record. <laughs> you know.
0: What did that feel like though? Like again, in that
1: moment It was really frustrating because um because i had a bad feeling when we were gonna sign to time bomb, and I was like, You guys, I've got a bad feeling about this. I don't think we should do this. And then I was outvoted. So I, they were like, We signed, you signed. So I signed and then you know and whether my bad feeling was accurate or whether it just so happened that something it didn't work out so yeah so but then we 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 toured anyway but you know didn't have any support but we toured anyway so yeah was there any
0: feeling that like this is going somewhere or no no no
1: it was like putting out an invisible record wow that's what it felt like it was like there you know it felt like for a long time there were uh, most people had no idea that there was a fourth sunny day record but People did come to the shows. It somehow managed to—I don't know. We somehow were able to like go out and, and tour, and there were there were people that somehow did manage to hear the record. And I mean, you know, we did do some press and some things, but um, I think that God, did we even have management at that time? We did, did we? I can't remember. I'm trying to, yeah. So yeah, and I don't even know how any any of that really got really set up, you know, like um, Pete Jaburga did what he could, he worked at Time Bomb and he sort of, he did what he could but he knew that there was kind of not much that he could do, you know but I mean, so yeah, but it was was like it was like like the record kind of didn't exist and it feels like it's taken years for people to all of a sudden realize that that record existed, so
0: And then after that, then you guys decided to do the Fire Theft, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah so we started recording the fire theft record the day after nine eleven happened <laughs> like it was literally like the very next day i mean it was just just so happened that's when we were scheduled to start brad was you know up here and that was a three-year-long process wow partially because while making that record brad had to go and make like two other records <laughs> while we were making our records so he was like okay stand by and then he'd have to go make a record and, and come back so so it was drawn out it took a long time. Anyway, it was that record was an interesting process, but I, uh, but it took three years because we had to stop a couple times and then start again.
0: What were you doing during that time? Otherwise, were you were you working at other things? Were you were you trying to play with other folks?
1: No, uh, I was doing uh, I was doing some playing with Billy Dolan, and then the rest of my time went into like martial arts training all the time, like every wow. day. Wow. So yeah, that that was kind of like became my obsession at the time, you know. And I was at that. So at that time, I was basically in the process of trying to turn to um, to become a better person, (laughs) pull my head out of my ass, uh, you know, um, take a hard look at myself, stop drinking, um, and uh, try to reverse some of the damage that I'd done through some relatively hard, self-destructive living. So. So yeah, and then I would also done a lot of damage to my body just the way I played and how hard I played, and without having any sort of proper technique, uh, I uh, I had to do a lot of I, I had to repair a lot of damage from a lot of different things. So I did uh, so martial arts training, rolfing, a lot of rolfing, like like three thousand sessions over like eight years. Is what it ended up being, but I had to kind of get I had to get rebuilt sort of. So yeah, so and and um, yeah. So,
0: how did that feel, making that decision to make yourself feel better?
1: I was interested in doing martial arts. So one thing kind of led to another. It wasn't like, "I'm going to quit drinking." It was like it, I came to realize that the reason why I drank the way I did was because I had horrible panic disorder and or anxiety. So the you know, the way I was medicating it was to drink. and so, like two or three beers in, you feel free from like feeling like someone's choking you or your lungs are going to collapse or whatever. And then, of course, so then you keep drinking. Next thing you know, you're blocked out. Next day, you wake up and you've done something really stupid. But um, so martial arts training is what basically took helped with the anxiety. And once the anxiety, once I dealt with the anxiety issue, the drinking just faded away, just disappeared. It wasn't like I it wasn't like I had to try to quit. It just sort of went away. So. Uh, so, yeah. So, I'm not, like, sober guy. As a matter of fact, I want to drink. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, like, I wish that I – but I just – I lost the taste for it. I've even tried to drink, and it immediately makes me feel like crap. I just don't feel that – I don't feel any sort of euphoria. It goes straight to feeling like crap. So, I don't know if there's, like, a chemical makeup or body chemistry thing that changed. I don't know. But, uh, so, but I mean, it felt – uh, it you know I mean it was and then I was drinking like twelve ounces of wheatgrass a day four shots every um, so I you know I had really lived kind of hard so I had to basically go to some serious extremes to like completely clean my digestive system to you know and you know like change you know give yourself a blood transfusion with transfusion with wheatgrass that's essentially what you're doing with that stuff it's the closest thing you can come to actually drinking blood it sounds really Gnarly, but I mean that's that's basically what it is. So, um
0: and that was around the mid two thousands.
1: Okay, yeah, I remember because we, when Fire Theft toured, I had to I was given this training regiment that I had to do th- at least three days a week while I was on the road. So I had to figure out a way to like find go find a place to train between sound check and the show, at least days a week and stuff like that. So you know but i was really committed to it because it um because it made me feel just it made me feel better it made me feel and i wasn't like into it to to i wasn't into it to like l- learn how to like fight it was more like learning how to like um, uh, get control of your mind your your thoughts you know and things like that and 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 it helped with playing a little bit that was like a, the beginning of me sort of the tr- me changing my playing was that that's started that yeah but just trying to learn how to relax, learn how to breathe and um, and then uh, and then I spent many years trying to change my approach towards the way I played my bass drum, which was what really changed really changed everything. so yeah, so yeah. But now that's really difficult to do. I changed my approach to playing the bass drum, and it's not something that... It took me three years to be able to do it. So it requires the bass... You can't have a pedal that's very quick and easy to play. There has to be... I have a weight on, you know, at Mm -hmm. the end of... You know, it's got to be really, really heavy, and then you can't plan it. you got to bounce it every single time. But then you have to have everything set up in the bass drum where it sounds like a... you have to be, it's a delicate process because you don't want to sound like a boing. It's still got to have, you know, punch to it, but it's treating it like a drum as opposed to something that you just, well, just throw pillows in it and, you know, and, and you know, make it go boop and the microphone will do the rest. You know, it's like, but now I now I can't go back. Now I can't play the other way. So it's cool to be able to do it both ways, but I, I don't think I can do it the other way now. Right. It's playing with a band called Iku, IQU, and then also with Bill Dolan for a bit, and then, and then a bunch of people died, and you know I won't get too into it, but um, that was really hard for me. Then when my brother shot himself in the head, I I kind of had a meltdown, and I didn't play for a year. I just I, and I stopped doing martial arts. I stopped doing everything. I just completely shut down. And uh, and then, uh, then I was approached by joram young and and justin schwartz and they asked if i wanted to start a band and we started a band called brawley banks and we worked on that for about four years and that was that it that was um some of the most inspired stuff i'd ever been involved with and so we were recording a record and then while we were recording that record um i got worried about doing the sunny day reunion and so that put that on hold and uh, so then we did, did the Sunny Day reunion, and then then Sunny Day decided to make a record. So then we go down to six hundred six, track a record, and then uh, you know track songs for the record and uh, the, the 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 foundation, you know, the, inst- the instrumental you know tracks, and uh, and then uh, was supposed to receive a call. I remember, I don't remember what the date was, but the following day I talked to Jeremy and Nate and they said, we're going to have a band, a meeting, a phone meeting tomorrow at like 3.30 for uh, regarding finishing the record. And then the phone never rang and, and never, ever rang again after that. Never heard anything. Just disappeared. And uh, I just, I was, I was confused. And then... Because during the break from Brawley Banks doing to do the Sunny Day stuff, that kind of took its toll on that band, and a bass player had to move to Guam, guitar player quit, singer didn't want to sing anymore. So I had two records that I'd done with no vocals that were sitting there that were done t- that I worked on that with no vocals that were going to be so they, they were just left. And so that was a little bit disenchanting that kind of bummed me out and took the wind out of my sails. And it is what it is, you know. I mean. I didn't understand exactly what went down. I've got a better understanding of why the sunny day record didn't get finished, but I don't want to speak for other people. I was so I was so kind of devastated by that by both things like just being left that I almost kind of, like with the sunny day stuff, I just tried to shut it off. I just like had I like had to sort of almost pretend like it didn't never existed, and then like about maybe five or six years down down the line, um, in like 2016, I went and I listened to the rough tracks and I was like, fuck. I was like, dude, I was just like, man, how come we didn't do this record? Um, anyway, and I, uh, I would imagine, you know, and I, I don't know, there might be some people that are aware that I kind of expressed my frustrations here and there, maybe not in the best way, but you know, I'm a human being. So, um, and, uh, but it is what it is, and I've just I've basically come to just sort of accept the fact that that's that, and I've and I've let it go. You know, that's all I could do. You know, but I had let it go. But what well, I didn't let it go, what I did is I just blocked it. I just I just shut it off, and I didn't you know deal with it. And then it hit me because I went and I listened to the songs, uh, totally objectively, six years later, and was like, shit, wow, we really screwed up by not doing this, you know. And I got and that really upset me. And, uh, and I reacted and and that's that, you know, but now I've, so I reacted, it hit me. Now I've processed it. Now I've let it go, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. Why do you think Sunny Day Real Estate wasn't more popular?
1: Well, I mean, you know, for the, for the first two records, we refused to do interviews and refused to play California. I don't know. (laughs) So I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe because we were together and then broke up and then together and broke up. I don't
0: know. Just kind of the, it wasn't, it wasn't consistent.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, for me, I'm more surprised that Sunny Day Real Estate is popular at all. I, like, I'm surprised that they, I, you know, to me, I'm always like amazed that there's like, you know, a, a sub, any sort of substantial amount of people that are familiar with the band because, uh, I mean, uh, a success in the music industry is a business deal it's not like because you're special. It's because somebody decides to put X amount of money into shoving you or your music in front of everybody's face and uh, to varying degrees. And that depends on the amount of money they're willing to put behind you. So, I mean, it's not some sort of like magic thing. It's, it's literally, it's just money payoff thing. You know, it's just like, it's basically buying your, your way into people's, you know, consciousness. So, you know, and so, I think maybe Sunny Day isn't isn't more popular because nobody was willing to put like one point seven million dollars into having us play at gas stations, you know, like, well, you know. So, you know what I mean? So I'm more I'm more surprised that Sunny Day was was, you know, but I mean, then you look at a band like Fugazi, where it's just like, well, they're popular because they fucking worked their asses off. You know, and were committed and they made great music. And they treated the people that came to see them play with respect, and they never ripped them off. So, that's that's and that's a, that's an approach that you know, it's not a, it's not an easy approach, but uh, but it's a, but it's a fucking damn fucking great approach and respectable, and will go down in history as the greatest approach. That's Definitely, ever, yeah. Fugazi changed everything. People say Nirvana changed things. I'm like, no, Fugazi changed. things <laughs> Nirvana was great. I love Nirvana. But I mean, what changed things as far as Nirvana is concerned is like Nirvana got the millions of dollars put behind them, you know, and they were a good band. They were a really great band, you know, with like this really sophisticated approach towards um, uh, nursery rhymes. You know what I mean? Essentially. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, you know, like songwriting, writing a really great simple song is a very, very it's a challenging thing, you know, especially like a really great song. So, so I mean, you know, you know, they were amazing. So, but you know, so they've changed things just in different ways.
0: But Fugazi for me was this ethos, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on MTV, but I can put on a show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You put on a show. Yeah. But as far as like, as far as getting like doing what they did, where you have to write like amazing music, (laughs) number one, number two, you have to, uh, you have to work your ass off, you know, totally you have to be willing to do those things. So, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I made it so, yeah, yes, you can do it, you know, but it's hard work. Yeah,
0: it's a lot of hard work. I think, too, having, like you mentioned earlier, having those two records and then having, ha- having loss. And I think loss is something that I think unless it hap- unless it happens to you, it's it's hard to experience or learn from. Did you think about moments? Like, were you, like, thinking about more about... Th- being appreciative of what was happening in the moment after those times, like not necessarily from a specific example, but like having those musical moments or doing music now, you know, and, and, and being like, you know what I, this, I, it, because I had, you know, when I had loss, I want to go back to those times where you want to talk to them or you want to ask them those questions again and you can't. So now it's like, well, now I'm going to do it with everyone else that's around.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I understand what you're asking. As for me now, I I I appreciate playing. I appreciate now and appreciate the people that I'm playing with now, and appreciate the music that I'm doing now more than I've ever done so before. And I'm more able to now, like I'm I'm. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not a kid with his head up his ass anymore. You know, I mean, I wasn't like a horrible person, but I mean, I was a stupid kid in a lot of ways. And I mean, you know, and I was also very, very uh, self-destructive, you know what I mean? And uh, had a horribly low self-esteem. And, you know, if I didn't have a good show, I would go to this horrible, horrible, dark place that it was very difficult to get out of. Now that doesn't happen. Now it's just like things kind of roll off my back more. And now it's about now it's about like um, appreciating being able to play. Or playing again, number one, number two, appreciating having being be, being fortunate to ha- enough to have uh, the opportunity to have these authentic spiritual interactions with the people I'm playing with now, and it's and it's completely pure, absolutely egoless collaboration. You know what I mean? And that's such that, and I have my appreciation for that is I can't even put it into words. And so it's about that. And it's about our kids. That's what, all. That's what it's really about right now.
0: I think you talked about this before another interviewer that I'd listened to or read. It was like you'd walked away for this many years and, and processing those things. And I think family and, you know, um, I think an amazing story that you talked about kind of like how you met Justin. Can you tell that story?
1: So, I mean, I, walked, I didn't just walk away from playing. I couldn't even listen to music like really? it was, it, yeah 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 no i mean I, I the only way i can describe it is i i can, i describe it as musical ptsd wow you know i couldn't i couldn't i didn't want to listen to music i didn't want to talk about music i didn't want to have anything to do with it i just i just compl- had to shut it off because if i listened to music i it would hurt because i because there was this part of me that i knew that i that i did want there was a part of me that did want to play but i just uh, but but didn't, but I was just walked away. I was just like, you know, all it's just brought me is nothing, but just, you know, knives in the back and, you know, or just like rugs p- pulled out from under my feet, you know, or like really, really hard work. And then just being left in a ditch, you know what I mean? It's like, or so it felt like, you know, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I couldn't even listen to music. And then, um, Justin had, uh, so I tell the story and I, I have the beginning of it incorrect. Sometimes Justin, oh, what, what well, every time I, so I, so Justin had contacted my wife on Facebook and basically said, Hey, you were married to William Goldsmith. Will you tell him that I learned how to play drums or tried to learn how to play drums by trying to dissect the song seven. And, and then also just say that, you know, Day real estate had, uh, was an inspiration for me and tell him, Hey, you know, thank you. But then, Oh yeah, that's right. And then, well, she was like following stuff that you were doing, and then she was saying, hey, look, they're practicing. And I listened, and I said, hey, tell them I said the drums sound good. And she said, William Goldsmith says the drums sound good. Channery said, you know, you should look at what this guy's doing. Uh, he teaches music to children. He teaches music to autistic children. Uh, he has a band with his kids, and uh, and his son is also autistic. And so our, our four-year-old son, Logan, uh, was diagnosed with autism. And so... Uh, I was in the process of trying to get, wrap my head around it and understand it, you know, and I was kind of flying blind. And, uh, so I kind of wanted to copy off just Justin's homework and, uh, so to speak, you know, learn, I wanted to learn from him. And then in the process of, of doing that, I, I th- then I heard his band Pigsnout, with his kids and, it, and, and that's what hit me really hard. I was like, man, what am I doing? I was like, not only not only will I not listen to music, not play music. I'm not I'm not I'm not like bringing music into my children's lives in a way I'm I'm not not intentionally, but almost depriving them of it because it's not, I'm not it's not even on my radar. And I saw I saw what Je- what Chester was doing. Sorry, it's okay. Yeah, so I saw what he was doing, and I was like, "Man, I need to play music. I need to bring music to the lives of my children. I need to. I need to do this again." You know. So then the story gets kind of funny. <laughs> It's like, sorry about that. I just uh,
0: why are you any- apologizing?
1: Well, because you know, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's absolutely beautiful that you met someone that's working with someone with a similar. Like your son also is autistic. He's teaching drum. You're a drummer. Like, it's supposed to happen. This was supposed to yeah, happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, and so I guess that's why I get emotional about it because it it hit me like a like a bolt of lightning, and and so then. So then I contacted Justin, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, it was funny. I was like, dude, you know, uh, I went over to his house, and I sat in, and I played, I played with him and his 11-year-old daughter double drums. So she was on drums, I was on drums. And that was my first time sitting down and playing drums for nine years. Wow. I was sitting down and sitting in with, with those two. And it was really fun and it was and she was the boss man she was running the show <laughs> i was just like you know i'm following you you know you you lead and uh and uh then i and then i contacted justin and i was like man you know it'd be kind of cool to like have like two drummer thing with pig snout and like me backing up with what you know she's doing or if like lucian you know sometimes his son would play drums like you know double drum thing and pig snout and he goes, yeah, maybe that that might be cool. And then uh, he he approached Dahlia and, about it, and Dahlia was like, "No, it's a family band." She's like, "It's a family band. No offense towards him, but it's a family band." And I obviously had to respect that, and and I still do. So, but we jammed together, and and she seemed to have a good time. So I think maybe someday there might be hope. But 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 like I said before, until that day comes, <laughs> we started justin. Justin sort of started coming over and like kicking me like a horse, you know, like every you know every now and again. And he'd be like, "Set your drums up, sit down, <laughs> you know, come over to my house, play these drums." Oh, I'm gonna come over there, set up your drums. I'm gonna bring my amp. And Then he brought an amp and he was like, "Okay, next time I'll bring a bigger amp." <laughs> it, was, it wasn't quite loud enough, but uh, so and then we just started playing. Every now and again, every now and again, became more often and then became as often as possible and then when i i saw i went and saw his 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 other band uh they're called blind guides and brian gorder is the bass player of that band and i was like holy shit i was like dude i was like okay so i need to jam with that guy and i need to start a bass i need to start a band with that bass player somehow and i went up to brian i was like not sure yet, but it's somehow I'm gonna. St- I'm starting to play again, and somehow, someday, uh, I'm gonna. I want to do a band with you. I think it'd probably be a good idea. I really want to play with you. So then, I ended up actually just. They were kind enough to start a new band, <laughs> with Brian and Justin, with me playing drums. And so they still have their other band, but now they have a new band with me. So very nice of them to do that. So, but yeah. So then, and then we've just been writing and writing. And playing we just and we've been playing shows and we've been like recording stuff just here you know and um uh, and yeah and that's what's happening yeah
0: and the band's called assertion
1: assertion yeah because i think that's what we, we all agreed that we need to work on
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think it's beautiful that you're playing i think it's beautiful that this happened and there's music and it's funny where it where this what it's funny what music does Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's negative sometimes it's it's there um and it pulls you out of things and i think for you to to be doing this now like what what does it feel like now
1: uh i just feel fortunate to be able to play again i just fortunate to be i feel more than anything i feel really fortunate to be able to play with two two such amazing amazing human beings yeah as brian and justin and uh so yeah I just feel lucky that, that I was, that I'm able to do that.
0: And then I think there was a, either a Instagram live or it was a Facebook live. Jeremy had come over to jam.
1: Oh yeah. 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 He came over. That was fun.
0: When was that? I feel like that was like, I couldn't remember. When was
1: that? Justin, that was like, what, like maybe five, six months ago. I guess so. Yeah. Time is weird for me, but August-esque, August-ish. Yeah. 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 It was around there. Yeah. 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 That was fun. Yeah. He came over and, uh, um, why did he come over? Oh yeah. He came over to give me, to bring me fire some gun. fire theft vinyl and, uh, gave a couple of those. And then, uh, and then, uh, we were like, want to jam? And he was like, sure. So, you know, so he just, you grabbed the bass and yeah, that was fun. And actually we worked on the lamb to the slaughter pulls a knife a little bit, uh, and and he sat in while we were working on it you know just fun right didn't he yeah we yeah yeah. Actually, yeah we did play that yeah, yeah and when it's when it was in its so that song was weird that song was one of those things where um justin sort of we were about to start practicing and justin started playing uh the main riff and then he stopped and we were, he was like okay let's go and I went uh 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 go back what was that and then he starts playing it. I came in, and then we started playing it. It went through, and it went to the next change, and then it—the song went from beginning to end, arrangement-wise, the way it is now. That first time, so it was one of those things where we literally started playing it, and it and it wrote itself. Justin and I are both like very much so aware of um, uh, how difficult it can become to uh, to trust people after you've had. It, it, what is it about empaths that attract sociopaths? Do you know why that's, that happens? I don't know, but that seems to happen. And so Justin and I have that in common. Where we both have a long sort of history of allowing people in that, you know, that, you know, would, you know, hug you with it and put a knife in your back at the same time and be and be like, and accidentally keep doing it again and again to the point where you're like, okay, so me and the human beings thing just doesn't work out so well. So <laughs> I'm going to just... And that's one of it's kind of another reason why. I mean, I literally for those nine years, I didn't. I, I not only stopped playing music, I actually stopped speaking with people at all. I didn't talk to anyone. I mean, I just, I, the only people the only people I talked to was the, my wife, and then the, our children when they were born, and then uh, and her her parents when I saw them. Wow, and that's it
0: when things happen again or when things don't go right do you feel that you can handle it better now and no
1: so we have like assertion now and as the band name so it's like a weird shield or a totem <laughs> so we're just not gonna be a problem no uh uh yeah no i i i don't i want to say yes but at the same time it's like i'm i am extraordinarily careful i i, I not only do I not really interact with very many people, but I actually just don't have the time to now. It's like we have to fight to try to get time to practice. But aside from that, it's like, you know, I've got three kids. And I mean, there's people who have more kids. But for me, it's like it's just nonstop. It's just like, OK, you know, you need this. OK, I got to, I'm going to take you here. You know, <laughs> there isn't much room for, you know, there, is, there isn't any room for anybody to like slip through any kind of cracks. There are no cracks. It's like there's this like, you know thing where it's like time taken by children. The band isn't a separate thing from my family. It's it, they're they're integrated, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, my kids, they, you know, they, you know, Justin is he's another member of the family. Brian's another member of the family, you know, as far as they're concerned. I mean, I just feel fortunate to to have those dynamics and have them integrated with the family and music and have it all come together. So, yeah. And I owe, really owe it to my wife, Channery, for Saying, "Hey, you should look at what this guy's doing," <laughs> you know, that's because. And then I looked, and it's a good thing I looked. So I kind of fought it for a minute. I was like, "Nah, what do you mean? Nah, what do you mean? Well, I don't want to look at anything." And then you know, I did, and then changed everything. It was hard at first because then it made me really look at myself and regret the lack of music. But at the same time, it is what it is, and it took the nine years i mean i had to get i had to somehow get back to a point where i just i wanted i desired you know music to play music again i had to really really want to do it you know i had to really want to play to start playing again and so and that's and and looking at what justin was doing and especially especially seeing what i don't know if you've ever heard pigs now his band with his kids but i highly recommend uh, a good, just a good introduction would be a song called "The Tar Trap" by Pigsnout. You can go on YouTube. There's a really great video. Man, it's really the, the songwriting is amazing. It's it's just amazing. It's an amazing song and it hits you, you know. And uh, so yeah, it was that that really made me made me want to play again.